Hello, and welcome back to Talking Brass Bands, a new series featuring composers and their music for the brass band. I'm James Alexander, and I'll be your host as we interview brilliant brass band composers and hopefully gain some insight into their lives and music. Each episode will feature a different composer and one of their compositions in detail. I'm delighted to have Liz Lane on the show. Liz Lane is a British composer whose music has been described as evocative, innovative and spellbinding. Her compositions are played by many of the top UK brass bands and soloists, including Breakhouse and Rastrick, The Cooperation Band, Corey, Foden's, Jim Hayes, Stephen Mead and David Thornton. And she is composer in residence with Libbrook Band. Welcome Liz. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you. So let's start off with a bit about you. How did you start composing? Well, I started composing when I was six years old and I came home from school one day at lunchtime and I had an idea for a melody. So I told my mum and dad and they helped me to write it down and that was my first ever piece, uh, Christmas Carol, which actually got performed at um, Westminster Hall in London a few months later. So that was rather exciting. Wow, so really successful. Yes, um, it was all due to the fact um, I'd been to my first concert, age six. My parents took me there in London and John Lill, the pianist, had just won the Tchaikovsky Piano Competition and I was absolutely bowled away by his playing. So I wrote to him and said how much I liked his performance and he wrote back to me and said, would you like to meet? So I went up to meet him before a concert and he... Um, chatted with me and I played the piano a bit and we've stayed in touch ever since but he happened to know the Lloyd Webbers, Dr Lloyd Webber and um, Jean Lloyd Webber and Jean Lloyd Webber was the conductor of the the boys choir, Westminster School Boys Choir I think it was and Dr Lloyd Webber played the organ and I believe that either Andrew Lloyd Webber or Julian Lloyd Webber were in the choir as a boy but I don't know which one. (laughs) Wow that's amazing, (laughs) what a connection. You are a composer in residence for Libbrook Band, who are a championship section band in Gloucestershire. Could you tell us a bit more about what being a composer in residence involves? Yes, it's a really special role. I've had a wonderful time working with Libbrook Band over the last few years on all kinds of different projects. Of course, my husband Ian is the conductor. I've got a lot of friends there as well. And it works both ways, really. I've had the opportunity to get the band involved in various commissions I've been involved with and these have included a piece of music called Innovation 216 which was performed at St George's Bristol uh, a few years ago. It celebrates 100 years of aerospace in Bristol including the wonderful, wonderful Concord. So we've performed that, 270 performers, Libric band, training bands, choirs, aged 8 to 80 in uh, St George's Bristol, the most number of performers they've had. We've been there three times and we're going to be performing this under the wings of Concord and I get goosebumps just thinking about it already because Concord is so, so wonderful. I had this dream when I was little of going on the QE2 into New York and coming back on Concord. Well, I did the QE2 bit. This is the next best thing of having my music performed actually by the very last Concord which was ever flown in the wonderful Aerospace Bristol Museum. But we've done all sorts of projects really and sometimes the band have got opportunities and they ask me to work with them. They've done some amazing proms in the park events at the Speech House Hotel, that's in the Forest of Dean and they've asked me to write music for that. Um, I've had other opportunities. I've done a lot with Bristol Cultural Development Partnership. They're the cultural side of Bristol City Council. We've 
done something a few years ago to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the Arts Council, which involved RSVP Bangra and uh, some diverse instruments and members from Liberate Band and so many projects. They put them all together recently in a list and it's amazing to see what we've done and I can't wait to see what's going to come up in the future. So it's lovely to have this close relationship with a band. You know, I work with a lot of other bands as well, but they're, they're great friends and, and very special to me. Sounds like it's been a really productive role. It has. It really has. And I think, well, I hope it, it works always between us all. Yeah, definitely. I imagine it's very beneficial for the band to be able to play the new repertoire that you provide them. And it, I imagine it tests them quite well. I think it's wonderful that they're happy to take on board things that I write I think at first it was such a new thing for them and for me and now they're kind of more used to playing the new things that I give to them. I'd like to take the opportunity to mention a very special lady who who sadly passed away. Her name was Yvonne and she'd been with the band for around 60 years and she was a good friend to many many people in, in the band. As I said sadly she passed away and that was on the Tuesday and I was on holiday and I actually had my laptop with me and I was inspired to write a piece of music in her memory, which I managed to get the PDF of the score and the and the parts to the band for the following evening when they were having um, their rehearsal was 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 devoted to sort of remembering her and sharing memories, and they were able to play it through. And so I'm. It's called Serenata, and it's been made freely available um, for download. You can find it on my my website, which is lizlane.co.uk. It's playable by any section of the band, but the important thing uh, about it really is that I've, I've made it available so that it can raise money for the British Heart Foundation. Um, and so I know a lot of bands have downloaded it. So if anyone would like to play it, it's there and I hope you enjoy it. And it's a tribute to a very special lady and a very special band. That's a really lovely cause and I'm sure that she'd be happy to know that her life is being continued in this music. Well, I think that's that's the thing. Her family were really, you know, were, were totally behind the idea. And, and yes, the idea is that her memory can sort of go forward in, in, in the music. What was really lovely about her is that she used to sort of make the effort to, when we tried out a, a, a new piece of music, she used to make the effort to sort of say, that she kind of liked it she didn't necessarily understand it but she really appreciated playing it and and those words as a composer are always nice that someone is thinking about your music appreciating it liking it and I always remember her for that and and many other lovely things You've recently done an article for the British Bandsman about being a composer in residence and you've got lots of different people involved to get their opinions because obviously it's a very personal role. Did you enjoy writing that? I really did, yes. It was part of a series of articles for British Bandsman called Composer's Corner. There were eight in the series. Um, one of them was guessed by my, my friend and colleague uh, Christian Morris. This was the final one. They ranged from aspects such as um, notation, networking, inspiration, collaboration, and I brought in friends and colleagues to give their thoughts in each of the blogs. Not just people from the brass band world, but from all, all kinds of musical spheres, really. 
Um, so I'm, I'm a regular contributor with um, British Bandsmen. I've really enjoyed getting involved with um, doing a little bit of journalism. Um, but I think this is my, my favourite blog of all. I started off by asking people I knew about their roles as composer and residence. And then I, I put it out onto Facebook to all the brass band sites there to try and find out what the, the general picture was in the UK at the moment. Yeah. And people started telling me about composers who were working with other bands abroad. And I only had a certain number of words, so I, I actually had to keep it to the UK. But I found there was a lot more going on there than, than I perhaps expected, including composers and in residents in lower section bands as well, which is uh, fantastic. And I'm really grateful for everyone who contributed. I think I got so many people involved. It was just, just brilliant and, and, and a lot of fun and piecing it all together. So I hope I've got a really interesting and comprehensive or as comprehensive as I can picture of who is composer in residence not just now but people who have been involved in in the last few decades. How does your composition fit into your career as a whole? Well like a lot of musicians I have what you probably call a portfolio career so I love composing and I've done it for a long time um, it's really really important part of my life but I had the opportunity to do a PhD a few years ago and um, at Cardiff University, and now I work in um, higher education. I have a, a fractional post at the University of the West of England, um, working in the computer science and creative technology department, so in music tech, and, and that's brilliant because I do all sorts of things there. I've got a long title, which I won't sort of say here, but uh, <laughs> I, I have a senior lectureship, which involves doing composition and performance. I supervise final year projects, I'm module leader, I'm responsible for academic personal tutoring in the first and second years. I'm co-leader on the um, on Athena Swan application for the department. So it's a really interesting and diverse role which works very very well with the composition. You know, what I do outside as a composer I can bring into the work with the students and the university have supported my, uh, my my composition projects as well. I also um, work on the Trinity Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance course called the Certificate the Practice of Making Music, which is a brilliant course. It's mostly online, but we have a residential uh, once a year. You know, that's very varied, and I, I, I like that. My main academic role is the University of the West of England. I've got some fantastic colleagues. Um, we do a lot of different um, things. And I used to perform. I used to perform professionally on French horn and percussion. I do still play a bit, and I play the piano as, as well. And I sometimes just get involved with various different projects. I've been a, a guest editor for Sound and Music for their magazine. Um, I've been on, on the jury for the British Composer Awards. So, I mean, it's really exciting. You never know what's going to come up next. <laughs> yeah, really um, varied career. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Next, I'd like to talk about your process of composing. So what inspires you to write music? Hmm, what inspires me to write music? Um, I think that's fairly clear to me, really. It's when someone wants me to write something. I don't think I would ever go to a room and just start writing for for no particular reason. I'm I'm inspired by knowing that I've got a deadline and I've got people to write for. I'm particularly inspired by working with people 
and that sort of collaborative element of, of writing music. Um, particularly as well writing with using words. I find that's that's a real sort of generator of musical ideas. Um, but I think most of my music, or if not all my music really, having a narrative behind it is, is important. A lot of your compositions are inspired by poetry, or even contain poems such as Silver Rose, which was written for the World War I centenary using poems by Isaac Rosenberg, who died during the conflict. Poetry has always had a strong link with music, but not so much in the brass band world. Why do you think this is? I don't know, really. I mean, poetry for me, I do a lot of choral writing, so, so working with words is quite a, a natural process, really. And when I had the opportunity to write this commission, which was from Bristol Cultural Development Partnership, it was one of 20 um, arts commissions to commemorate the beginning of World War I centenary in 2014. I knew that I wanted to write for narrator and brass band, and I just googled poets and Bristol and found out that Isaac Rosenberg was was born in Bristol and so I started looking at his poetry and I found five poems which which to me rang true they were a mixture of sort of the angst of war but also hope for the future as well and the melodies within the music actually trace the line of the words so in effect for most of the movements I set the poetry um, to music, almost like a sort of uh, song without words. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that it reflected that closely to the music. Mm. Oh, it does, yes. Sometimes in a slightly sort of obscure way. But um, to me, that was my way of sort of being close to the poetry. And so Silver Rose has had um, a lovely journey over the last few years. It's had quite a lot of performances I think about 10 in all, including by the brass band here, which was great a few years ago with um, Ian Porthouse. Um, one of the most special performances was at Bristol Cathedral with the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra. And they um, are the first regional um, youth orchestra for young disabled musicians run by Open Up Music. They're now the National Open Youth Orchestra, which is the world's first orchestra for young disabled musicians. With the support of my university a few years ago, I was able to help facilitate the uh, first ever concert of the Southwest Open Youth Orchestra, which was with the Centre for Performing Arts there at the university. My husband, Ian, was um, director, and so we put on a concert with um, the, the youth orchestra, the, the young players, brass band, liberate band, and um, the the U.E. Singers Choir of about 120 in Bristol Cathedral. and. That was just magnificent to be able to, to do that, very special. It is a very moving and respectful piece. Thank you. Your state of mind and mood must have quite a big effect when writing music. Do you find yourself rewriting things the next day and changing your mind quite often? Yes, all the time actually. Um, I mean, when I'm writing a piece of music, it kind of stays with me in all sorts of different places. Uh, it's a constantly evolving process. I think there's so many different versions before you get to the end and then you have to kind of make a decision, okay, this really is the end, this is the product that I'm going to nervously sometimes pass over to someone to to, to take it into their own. And then you find, of course, when, you, when you've got a rehearsal and a performance that there's other things that are going to be changed and the conductor and the performers can do something with the music that you never expected as well. But when I write music, 
you know, I've got an office where I've got a keyboard and Sibelius. I've also got, I also work at the piano sometimes. Um, quite often I'll, I'll go out, to, I've got a favourite nearby cafe, I'll go and sit there and um, you know, sort of laptop or printed out manuscript and scribbling all over it. Thinking about things in the car is a good place. <laughs> I get a lot of ideas. Sometimes I get a Sibelius recording and I'll play it in the car and I'm, ah, that's what I need to do there. Even last night at night when I'm going to sleep, thinking about it, thinking about the music there and it kind of sort of must somehow sort of subconsciously go through my mind and sort of can sometimes wake up thinking, ah, oh, that's what I need to do with that. Or even in the middle of the night, I've been known to sort of have have an idea of a melody. That happened to me with um, a piece called The Grand Union Waltz, which was written for two friends in Liberate Band for their wedding uh, a few years ago. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I suddenly the melody I've been looking for had, had sort of came to me, so I had to take the iPad out and scribble it out. And uh, it does happen like that sometimes, but then all the work, all the focus, all the editing to get to the, the finished product. But um, Yeah, it's a long journey. It is a long journey, but uh, the Grand Union Waltz is, is a bit of a favourite to me. It's um, just been performed um, several times by Corey Band in their recent concert repertoire. Once in Birmingham, I think. Yeah, um, after the, the day after the Open. Um, and they've taken it over to France and some other places as well, so that's uh, that's brilliant. Alongside your brass band compositions, you've also written orchestral music, choral works, and even music for organ. Do you have different processes when writing for different instruments? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I grew up in an orchestral background. My my instruments are French horn and percussion, and um, I did a lot of orchestral playing. Um, it wasn't until later that I got involved with brass bands. You know, that kind of experience comes into my, my brass band work. I, I tend to think orchestrally in a, in a sort of fairly natural way, and I think that gives a, a, a slightly different perspective maybe. And chorally as well, because I do love working with words. I mean, different processes. Yeah, I suppose whatever I write for, you know, you, you, you think about it kind of differently. I have done a bit of writing for for organ. My my, my dad plays organ at, um, at local churches, so I usually write him a piece for his birthday, um, oh. sometimes <laughs> Christmas as well. Um, he had a special birthday a few years ago, so I wrote several pieces that uh, that <laughs> that's um, lovely that year. So I mean, I've written for all sorts of all sorts of things really, from from small ensembles to orchestra and and particularly a lot of choral music. And I'm I I love the diversity. Um, my next project is writing a song for a rock choir in Wales. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Very diverse. <laughs> it is, yeah. I could be wrong, but I don't think you've ever written a brass band test piece, which is a large part of the brass band's repertoire. Have you ever thought about writing one? Yes, I mean, I've thought about it, um, and I'd, I'd really love to sometime, but um, so far I've been writing concert music and having a wonderful adventure doing that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, most of what I've been writing has been championship. Um, section music but uh, Serenata which I mentioned um, that could be played by any, any section of the band and I'd be really interested in working with, with all sections of the band so yeah I'm, I'm really keen on the idea of, of writing a test piece at some point Well hopefully we'll see one from you in the future. Brilliant, thanks Yeah <laughs> Have you got any advice for aspiring composers? 
Well, I would say get involved, be involved, get to know people, be friendly, keep to deadlines and help create your own opportunities. And I think that way things tend to evolve and, you know, hopefully snowball. It's not always easy, but if you love it and you want to do it, then always, always, I say, just just go for it. I love being a composer. I love being involved with musicians and people and collaborations and events. And so, yeah, just, you know, write the best music you can, share it with people and have a brilliant time doing it. And Good luck. <laughs> Some really great advice there. Thanks. Thanks. What recent projects have you been involved in or what have you got coming up in the future? Well, Jim Hayes has just recorded a piece of music of mine with the cooperation band and Mike Fowles, and that took place in Scotland. It's a rather special piece which has a connection with um, Silver Rose. It was actually commissioned by Robert Hardy, who narrated Silver Rose, and he asked me to write a piece of music which incorporated some of his favourite classical music themes which would be performed at his funeral. And he wanted Liberate Band and my husband, Ian Holmes, their principal conductor, to perform at the funeral as well. So obviously I was incredibly honoured to be asked to write a piece like this. Um, so I went to see Robert Hardy at his home and he chose the themes that he wanted and I started writing the music. And um, it's very strange commission to be uh, working on, you know, huh. Very special, but, you know, something that you want to write, but you don't want to write, if you see what I mean. But sadly, he he passed away before his um, request was put in his will. Um, so it was never performed at his funeral, but I completed it and it was performed by um, Liberate Band and their then principal cornet, um, Phil Storer at Trinity College, Cambridge. And it, what an amazing venue that was. And the, actually, the narrator for Silver Rose then was a descendant of Isaac Rosenberg, who was a reader wow. at, at Cambridge University. Um, so that was a really amazing occasion. So we thought that this was good time to play Stars Are Not Too Far, which by then I'd um, rewritten for Cornet and, and band so that Phil could perform it. And it was such a beautiful place to play the piece in with Robert Hardy's themes. And the, the title actually comes from one of the movements of Silver Rose, Stars Are Not Too Far. OK, so another link again. Another link, yeah, absolutely. And I wanted the piece to be recorded and Jim had got a CD coming up called The Edge of Forever and it just all dovetailed and um, he did a piece of mine called Slate Sea and Sky uh, a few years ago and so it's great to be back there again. Other projects I've got on the go. Oh, Sertal Symphony. Sertal Symphony is a project which came out of um, working with RSVP Bangor Band in um, Bristol a few years ago. It's a piece of music which is for Indian Bangor Band, that's RSVP Bangor, and Brass Band and Soprano Voice. Okay. Yep. Very unique. Ensemble. Very unique sound. Yeah. You know, when I first met RSVP a few years ago, um, we were involved in a concert at Bristol Cathedral. We said we'd love to work together again, and we had the chance to do so with a piece called Dance um, Where the Spirit Enlightens, which was a Bristol Cultural Development Partnership commission to um, celebrate 70 years of the Arts Council. So that included RSVP Bangra, some members of Liberate Band and some other players as well, um, 
but we love the sound of Bangra and Brass and so we thought we really want to do something with this. So that's how the Sotar Symphony came about and it's been a project which we've had a lot of meetings about over the last few years and taking it from stage to stage, um, you know, trying to get funding for it. We got a little bit of funding from the Norman Jones Foundation from Brass Bands England and with that we were able to do a Sotar Symphony taster at uh, Liberate Bands Prompt in the Park last year and that was about 10 minutes and it was in front of an audience of about a thousand people and it was great fun and uh, Brass Pass very kindly came and filmed it so it went out on their, their Brass Roots programme. So it's based on Western stories and Punjabi stories and, and, and sort of bringing it all together. I'll be looking forward to keeping an eye on that project. Absolutely, yes. We have some exciting plans for the future. Um, as I said, we're, we're working on funding for that. Uh, we're also going to be crowdfunding. And so hopefully we're going to really get that off the ground, the full symphony, in the next year or two. Great. So quite a lot of people have been involved in, in trying to get the project off the ground. And um, Brickhouse and Rastrick have really loved the idea. So we're working with them at the moment in, in bringing the project to festivals and concerts over the next year or two with RSVP and Brickhouse and Rastrick. And our soprano, who is Belinda Evans, Belinda was on the BBC's programme, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria, a few years ago. <laughs> she went into Phantom and now she's now touring the world with um, Andre Rio. Um, so um, watch this space and hopefully funding permitting you know we're going to have some really exciting events going on sounds really great thank you you have lots of projects on the go always got lots of projects on the go yes I, I, I really do uh, enjoy doing lots of different things I think after all that talking it's time that we listen to one of your compositions Liz this is Robin Robin composed of course by Liz Lane and performed by Stephen Mead on Euphonium with the Brookhouse and Rastrick Band conducted by David Thornton
Wonderful music, what a great addition to the euphonium repertoire played brilliantly by Stephen Mead. You can find that piece on Stephen's new album titled UFO. So what is the inspiration for this piece? Well, again, it's to do with words. Robin Robin actually started off as a song for soprano and voice. My good friend Belinda Evans, she wanted to raise funds for the Oval Hospital's Flying Colours appeal a few years ago. Um, That's their baby unit. And so I wrote her this song to record with um, pianist Stephen Marquis and my very good friend and longtime lyricist Jennifer Henderson wrote the words. And I think that they're lovely words. And Belinda did a a superb recording. And it's it's a real favourite song of mine. I, I wrote it quite quickly because her recording date was coming up quite soon. Sometimes when you write music, actually doing it really quickly because you've got a real sort of inspiration to get something for a particular cause and um, it's one of those pieces that just kind of was relatively smooth smooth going and I love writing it. So a few years ago I was chatting to Dave Thornton that we've been working together a little bit and he said he'd like to perform something of mine and suggested the idea of turning a song into a euphonium and piano piece. So I did and he gave the world premiere of Robin Robin for euphonium and piano in Malta and he played it in Sandvatch and he took it out to America as well. And um, John Story has also played it in America. And I believe there's some students at conservatoires who've been playing it as well. So, you know, it's had a really lovely um, journey. And then the opportunity came to write it for Euphonium and Brass Band for Steve Mead's new CD. And there it is. And I went up to the recording and I had a brilliant day with Steve and Dave and and the band and I always love to be at recordings of my music or or performances you know whenever I can 
so I'm, I'm just so pleased that it's been performed and oh wow what a cd i've heard it several times now just just amazing and uh, choice music and the performance yeah fantastic it is a lovely piece and it's got a really lyrical quality that you can hear through the euphonium did it adapt easily for euphonium and brass band yes i think so I mean, obviously going from piano to brass band has got quite a lot of challenges but i really enjoyed um, doing the transcription I think the most difficult aspect was that there was a lot of sort of arpeggio work in the piano, so including that in the brass band orchestration was, you know, it was quite difficult to sort of create that sort of smoothness but get that kind of lilting line going as as well. But um, I'm really happy with how it's turned out. Having heard both the soprano and piano and the euphonium and brass band, the, the way you adapted it is really, it really suits the brass band sound, I think. Oh, thank you. How are the words represented through the music? Well, the poem that Jennifer wrote has got four sections and it takes you through a a robin's life in four different seasons. I think it starts with spring. That's right, it starts with spring and it goes through to winter. Um, So I have some key changes. I have some different inflections of the melody uh, according to the various seasons. There's also a little bit in it where the robin is kind of bit of a robin song so that's kind of slightly sort of sprechgesang for the voice. Sprechgesang is a kind of way of half speaking and half singing um, the words so you get it with Rex Harrison in um, um, that famous song in My Fair Lady Why Isn't a Woman More Like a Man I can't remember the title of it Um, and um, the famous um, Pierre Lunaire little examples of of that kind of thing and uh, I think the key changes sort of take you through the seasons until the the robin gets to Christmas and um, we're back in C major again and and the words are to do with tweeting about a Christmas card I believe (laughs) if I remember rightly. Do you have any advice for bands and soloists playing this piece? Well firstly I hope you really enjoy it and I'd love it if you performed it of course. Um, Lyrical would be a good description and not too slow please. (laughs) because I think it just kind of needs to sort of move on in a sort of gentle way but not get too sort of weighed down. Where can people find this piece and more about your music in general? My website is lislane.co.uk and I've got a professional Facebook page which is Liz Lane Composer and my Twitter handle is also Liz Lane Composer. Robin Robin is published in the Euphonium and Piano version by Kirk Lees and it's published in Euphonium Piano and Euphonium and Brass Band by Composers Edition. And my music generally is published by Composers Edition and also by Kirkley's Right and Round and soon to be on Four Bars Rest as well. But all the details are on my website so that's, that would direct people in the right sort of way. And um, So that's lislane.co.uk. To end the podcast, we're going to have some quick fire questions. So here we go. Cats or dogs? Cats. Tenor horn or French horn? <gasps> French horn. Tea or coffee? Usually coffee, sometimes tea. Fair enough. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Ooh, um, Beatles, I think. Past or future? Both. <laughs> <laughs> Classical or romantic? Oh, romantic. Favourite test piece? Whichever event I'm at at the time. <laughs> That's a very good answer. (laughs) And finally, concert or contest? Concert, I think. But I do love the contest too. (laughs) 
And on that note, we've come to the end of this episode, but just before that, I would like to say a huge thank you to Liz for being on the show. Unfortunately, due to the current pandemic, there will be a delay on the release of the next two episodes, but I'm excited to announce that they will feature Daniel Hall and Gavin Higgins, so please keep an eye out for those in the near future. Podcast produced by me, James Alexander, and logo designed by Ben Chilton. Theme music composed by James Alexander, recorded and edited by Joe Oxford, and with myself and Ethan Hall on cornet, Yuhan Yang on euphonium, Charlie Denny on trombone, and Hal Williams on E-flat. Thanks for listening. See you soon.